thank you, Pastor Dennis, for leading and preaching. Thank you, worship team, for, for faithfully singing. And it's so encouraging to see and look around. A uh, uh, year and a half ago, it, it was just the Comases. And look at what God has done. Uh, we launched a year ago, and we have grown, and we have seen the love of Christ flow through this church to one another and to this community. But it's not about the church. It's about Christ. He is king. And it is his kingdom that is over all this morning. And the, the title of this morning's message is called Keeping the King's Law. Keeping the King's Law. And as you look at the headlines, I'm sure many of you are, you're well aware of what's going on in the world around us. You're well aware of the conflict and the fighting and the wars. And it seems almost every continent now. Um, and then you have the countries that... That takes sides and have allies and but even in those countries including our own we are subdivided uh, we are at war with one another with our words and our attitudes and it is absolutely heartbreaking to see the war to see the division to see how humans can treat one another whether you are Palestinian whether you are Jewish Iranian Egyptian Russian Ukrainian United States of American, which you can't just say American because if you go to South America, they say, well, we are also American. So yeah, you got to flare it. United States of American. There are nations and there are sides. That's the world, right? That's, that's the global stage. It's easy to see. The question for you, is that how it ought to look inside the church? Is that how it looks inside the kingdom of God? People picking sides and strife and infighting and judging one another. I remind us of what scripture says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 that the church, the body of Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus and are followers of him, we are called a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, that's the nation that we're focusing on this morning. Because it's not defined by geographical boundaries. Or by skin color. Or by language. These are people who are marked not by external but by the work of the heart. What has gone on inside? Jesus defines them. Here, the one, he's the one, he says, these are the ones that I set my life down for. I laid my life down for. These are the ones that I love. These also are the ones you can tell because of how they love one another. Is that really possible? That we can love each other regardless of boundaries and regardless of ethnicity? It transcends even our country and our loyalties to our country. Our loyalty belongs primarily to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. In James 2.7, I'm going to bridge the gap from where Pastor Dennis left us last week as we're going through the book of James. We can't cover all the ground at once. We break it up week by week. But verse 7, I'm sorry, not... Um, wrote down the wrong reference here. I'm sorry, 2 verse 1. 2 verse 1. James tells us, my brothers, or my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in who? 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's who my faith is in. That's my king. That's the one that I love and I serve and I bow the knee to gladly because as we just sang in Christ alone, he was literally broken down in his body for us. He took the wrath of God on us for our sins. He took our place. And then he rose from the dead and he is reigning from heaven. He is the eternal risen king. And his kingdom is universal. And church, if you are in the church, if you have put your faith in Jesus and his spirit is within you and you've had your sins forgiven, you've been given an inheritance in God's kingdom. And because of that, that adds all the weight in the world to what we're about to read. That's the context. Now let's read our passage for today, James 2, verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, end quote, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. That is the inspired word of God. And the word of God tells us that in the kingdom of Christ, believers are free to love others. That's the main point we just read. In the kingdom of Christ, believers are free to love others. The first reason is, is simple. Love in of itself fulfills the king's law. Love is the, the whole reason that we have this testament right here. The old and the new. All points to Jesus, who is love in the flesh. And when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, teacher? In Matthew 22, 36 and 40, he tells us, the, the great commandment in the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment and there's a second like unto it in other words this one flows out of the first you shall love your neighbor as yourself out of those two commandments hangs everything everything points to that to the love of God love fulfills the law that the king has given us and I drop the emphasis on that king, not because it's my opinion, but because it's in, it's in the verse you just read, verse 8. Your translation says, the royal law. Does it not? Well, we're in a democratic republic. right? That's our, that's our nation that we, that we reside in. He's not talking about the country that you live in, especially because James wasn't written when America was on the scene yet. He is talking about the kingdom of God. But he's doing something very interesting. And it was a common technique used by rabbis in that day and how they instruct people in the spiritual path and help them answer those spiritual questions. 
Because James was one of the first books written in the New Testament. Did you know that? One of the first books written in the New Testament. So when he says scriptures, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. Not, not how a lot of people treat the Old Testament today. Oh, it's just old, dusty, out of date, doesn't matter. James says, no, that's, that's the law we've been given from the king. It's not a matter of, do I feel like obeying that law? Is it negotiable? It's a royal edict. And if you look at Leviticus 19, verses 12 through 18, that's where we get this first time that it said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not spoken for the first time in, in Jesus' ministry. Spoken in the Old Testament law. You know that law that a lot of people think is just so harsh and unforgiving and there's, there's, there's nothing worthwhile in it. I think that's very worthwhile. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, and by the way, here's why you love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You are not the Lord, which is why we treat people poorly. I am the Lord, and I demand that you love one another because I love. And, and as obedient subjects, we say, yes, Lord. But what James is doing is he starts with that, that quote from Leviticus. He says, but all the scriptures point to this. And he is also mindful of the fact that Jesus said in Matthew 22, what is the greatest law? So what the, what, what the technique he's using is called a, a midrashic technique or intertextuality. I know, you won't remember that. That's okay. <laughs> I still think it's important for you to know because he is building a cumulative case based on what the Old Testament has said. You already know this. You already have it because the recipients of this letter are Jewish believers. He says, you know this from the Old Testament. You know what Jesus said. Therefore, here's how we apply it. And he's talking about life in the church. But the church did not spring up on its own existence or out of its own mind or idea, but from the very heart of God, from the beginning of time, I will create a people for myself who will love me and know me and my law will be written on their heart and they will love one another sincerely. That is biblical. This is the heart of our God. He is a king of love and church he calls us to love. Because nothing demonstrates the character of God more than how we value one another. In fact, he even goes so far as to say, uh, if you say you love God, 1 John 4.20, but you hate your neighbor, you are a liar. You're a liar. Because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You really do love God. Is that what you say? Is that what you believe? You are a follower of Jesus. Then you will love people the way Jesus loves them. It's convicting, right? Oh, that's convicting. Because that's the heart of our Father. Our Father does not lie. When he says, I love you, he always means it. He never stops it. The whole reason he sent his son to take our place on the cross and die for us was out of love, John 3.16. That's the driving motivation. The son, of, the son of Man came not to judge the world, but that they would see the love of the Father. 
We'll talk a little bit more that there is a righteous judgment and God is a righteous judge, but he wants us to know that love is the heartbeat of God. God is not judgmental. That's not a character attribute of God, but love is. God is called love. And what is love? That is seeking the best well-being for others. Putting their needs first. What? Wanting their best uh, and, and, and most helpful future, which of course must be aligned with God's word. So think about how you love yourself during the day. When you wake up in the morning, do you make yourself a cup of coffee? Any coffee drinkers here? Okay. Maybe it's a cup of milk. Bowl of cereal. For our kids, favorite bowl of cereal is it's got to be the Fruit Loops with the marshmallows. Okay, that's that's it, hands down. That's that's the big one, and that's also why we're out of it right now because because Dad forgot to tell Mom we were running low on that. So that, that happens. It's a very favorite cereal. Uh, what about charging your phone? Did you charge your phone overnight? Because you need your phone today. Makes sense. Did you dress yourself? Get yourself ready. Are are you here today because you want to hear the truth? You want to know truth for your life. So these are just simple decisions we make throughout the day because I want myself to be set up for success, right? And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty about yourself. James is is knowing and, and the, the biblical writers know we take pretty good care of ourselves most of the time. What he's saying is love your neighbor the way that you take care of yourself. That's a hard thing to do. But honestly, it shouldn't be that hard. It's not that hard. When I'm sick, I want people to pray for me. I want people to check in on me. When, when I encounter challenges, I want people to encourage me. It shouldn't be that hard to love others. But it is. It is because of my sinful nature. Because I want to love myself and I want other people to love me. But if you're not a lovely person, I struggle to love you the way that I love myself and to complicate things you have the world today that wants to redefine what love is they'll say well yeah love is you know i'm putting i'm putting others first but love also means you have to accept and affirm whatever lifestyle decisions that someone makes even if it doesn't line up with god's word hey if you love them you're gonna affirm them that's not what my bible says that's not what jesus said uh, when there was the woman who was about to be stoned for being caught in adultery. You know what he did? He put to shame those who wanted to judge her and stone her right there because they're a bunch of self-righteous legalists that want nothing to do with the, the glory of God and the holiness of God. They just want to kill somebody and put Jesus to the test. So he, he knocks that off, but then he lifts that woman up out of the dirt and he says, now go and sin no more. Put that away. He is full of truth and love so i refuse to let the world redefine what for thousands of years god has been speaking is true love it's to know the father and it's to do the father's will which leads us to love one another's love them as yourselves and brothers and sisters that means we can't play favorites in the kingdom of god 
So someone who looks like you and has the same interests as you and, and maybe is the same age as you, you might have an affinity for them. You might acclimate to them and you might hang around them more and that's fine. But we don't come in here on Sunday morning or go out during the week and treat people differently based on my preferences. No, I'm supposed to love people the way that Jesus has loved me. This past Friday evening, we got to we have some relatives in town visiting with us, and we're so grateful for that. We were blessed to have them staying with us and spending time with the grandkids. And so we're showing around the local area a little bit, taking them over to Anna Maria Oyster Bar, let them try that. They were fans. They were fans. I think they they fit right in there. Um, and and we had a server take care of us. And she got to see kind of our crazy bunch around the table. You know, six of us and then, then three extra adults, so nine of us. And, and we got talking with her, and, and I asked her, is there something that we can pray for you about? Simple question. I ask it fairly regularly as an opportunity to start a, a spiritual conversation with somebody or kind of, you know, get a feel for, do they have needs? Is there something going on? And, and that just totally caught her by surprise. <coughs> Whoa. Uh... You know, she starts to cry a bit. And then she mentions she's had a miscarriage in the past. And there's there's a burden that's, that's hanging on to her. And, and she just appreciates the fact that we took time before we're looking at our menu. What can I stuff in my face tonight? I was thinking that, to be honest. But then also, how can we pray for you that opened an opportunity to show God's love? And she said, no one else does that. You know, this is the first time anyone's ever ever asked me that. Beloved, you see how simple it is to just love somebody like yourself. It doesn't take the world. It doesn't mean you quit your job and 24-7 you're just going around doing service projects. It just means you love the people that you are with in work and in your home and in your neighborhood. Teachers, mechanics, managers. And if we love like Jesus, James says you're doing well. I mean, that's excellent. There's nothing more beautiful in God's sight than when his children love. So as you think through application points, families, or if you don't have a family, but you got roommates, <laughs> the person you are behind closed doors, that's who you really are. Are you loving, if you're married, are you loving your spouse as yourself? Are you loving your spouse as Jesus loves them? Are you loving your children, even on the messy worst days, the way that God loves us? At the end of the day, that is what fulfills God's law and pleases Him. Hey, kids, you know, you also can fulfill the King's law by loving others. I know how you guys work. All throughout the day, we're thinking, hey, I need a snack. I, need, I, I, I want some juice. Right, I see, I see some parents smiling. This is just the language of the day. Can I get a snack? Hey, kids, look at me real quick. What if next time you want a snack, you go to your mom and dad and say, Hey, would you like a snack? Would you like some juice? Before you ask about yourself, ask about your parents, knowing they might still say no to your request for juice. That's not why you do it. You do it to show love just the way that you would want to. And this Wednesday night, um, I want to remind you all, we have our, our church membership meeting, our partnership meeting. We'll be meeting at Panera and University Town Center at 6 o'clock. And we're going to talk about specific ways that we can show love to one another. It's a commitment and it's a sacrifice. There's nothing that gives God more glory.
and when we love one another, uh, love one another, because in the kingdom of Christ, believers are free to love others. Secondly, we see that there is a balancing of the scales in God's kingdom. A balancing of the scales. We love this. We love it when the underdog comes up and there's an upset. Or we love when the proud person gets humbled and laid flat on their face because they thought that their money or their status was something. We love that there's a balancing of the scales, but first, James directs us to look back in the mirror. Because, I don't know if you notice this, in verse 8, he gave a condition, if. Right? Let's look back there together. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So here's the next conditional statement. But reality check, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Because whoever keeps the whole law Try your best, do good, not break the Ten Commandments, but you fail in one point. You're guilty of it all. So whether you're poor or rich, and and a little historical context from this period, no one really went around calling themselves poor. I'm poor. I think a lot of of people probably don't do that today either. Typically, what would work in that culture is the class that you were born into lower class, middle class, upper class, that's the class you stayed in throughout your life. Just No one had aspirations to go be a self-made millionaire. That's just, that's not how things worked. You know, you helped with the family business, you were in your your village, your culture, your city, and, and you just kind of advanced the family line within your class. So if someone was poor, as shown is that James is singling out those who were in one class but then because of some crazy hardship in life that hit them, something uh, personal that, that affected them, or the loss of a parent and an income that would come in because of that, or the loss of the family business, or uh, a plague that swept through the village, a whole, whole number of things could happen that would drastically change someone's financial future and their social future. That's what he has in mind when he says poor. These are people who are already, by the circumstances of life, pushed to the side. He says, beware. If you look down on those people because of their station in life, you are a transgressor. You're a sinner. That is breaking the king's law. It's breaking the king's heart. They had no control over their circumstances, or perhaps they made a decision that led to that, but... Like Sherlock Holmes would say, there but by the grace of God go I. You're going to be really so proud that, well, I didn't make that decision, so I'm not over there. Where's the compassion? If you show partiality, you're in sin. And this is actually, he's using the strongest words of uh, contrast that you possibly can in the Greek language. He wants us to wake up. If you're sitting there and you think, well, I've never shown partiality and I've never treated anyone poorly because they're in a different class or station of life than I am, look again. He's caused us to really look in the mirror because we do have inconsistencies in our behavior. Not one of us is perfect. Not one of us is altogether loving and altogether true. And I'm talking about myself as well. 
actually? How do you actually live? Is there any partiality in your life? Now, the religious leaders would say no. They were also hypocrites. And they would actually keep tallies. If I was on the whiteboard, I'd, just, I'd put up some tallies. Hey, here's the laws I kept today. Here's all the good things I did today. Here's all the religious stuff I did today. And then they would actually kind of budget for their sins, if you can believe it. I did a lot of good things this week, so I can commit a little adultery. You know, I can, I can be a little bit greedy because I've made up for it over here. Do you see how the scales are tipped and it's all self-righteousness? Well, God goes ahead and he writes that scale right here, right now, because he says, if you break one part of God's law, you've broken the whole thing. This isn't a bartering system. God, I'll pat you on the back on Sunday morning if you pat me on the back the rest of the week, or I'm going to go find mine, and I'm going to make my goals a reality. I'm going to show favoritism to the ones that I care about. It's not about religion, and it's not about outweighing your bad deeds. Because guess what? One sin puts the scales completely against your favor. Now, he uses two terms here, sinners and transgressors. To sin means to fall short of God's glory, which we all do. Transgressor has the, has the opposite idea of those who go beyond God's prescribed limits. He sets limits, he sets boundaries, and we say, no, I know better, I'm going past that. That's what Adam and Eve did, they transgressed. So whether you are transgressing and running past God's healthy limits and boundaries, or whether you're falling short and just not loving people the way that Jesus did, we are all sinners. And we're all falling short because the standard is not my standard. It's the word of God. It's the moral law of God. It's the character of God. It's all about him. And personal favoritism reveals I'm actually living by my own standard. I'll treat people how I want or in the moment my emotions get the better of me. What's that showing? I'm not relying on the wisdom of God which is a key theme in James. I'm relying on the wisdom of my own mind, which is to say, not very wise at all. And the sad reality is, friends, if that's where you are, you think that God can be bought with good deeds and favors and you can tip the scales, or you know, if you're here on Sunday morning, you're doing something religious, and you know, now I'm going to be good with God, I've, I've got some disappointing news for you. Just like a dam that's holding back the floods of waters and slowly releasing it downstream so that there can be energy and, and uh, drinking water and sustenance for a village. If there is one flaw in that dam, what happens to the whole thing? What happens with the Jonestown flood in the late 1800s? There was a point of failure and the floodwaters kept rising and overwhelmed the dam. The workers were working hard to try to get water out of there and build ditches to divert it, but it was too late and the dam was not going to support that weight. And the consequences were devastating. 2,200 people wiped out and entered eternity. 20 million tons of water 
came rushing down at 40 miles per hour, which means that locomotive trains were swept away, which means that parts where there was property and land and farms were scraped down to the bedrock in an instant. That's the force of the water. That's how we ought to think about our own self-righteousness. I'm a good person. Really? What about that crack there? And that crack there? And that crack there? And friends, the consequences of our sin are more than we can bear. And then it transgresses onto others and makes a mess of their lives too. Our family and our relationships. People that we should, in the world's mind, be able to love just naturally, but we don't because we're sinners and we fall short. And James quotes the sixth, or uh, yeah, he quotes the sixth and seventh commandments here. Do not uh, murder and do not commit adultery because these are serious social sins. Are they not? Not, not your head guess. Murder is a big deal in society. And, and there should be big punishments for that. Adultery is also a serious offense against your neighbor. So what might happen is someone looks at that and says, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a Hamas terrorist. I, I haven't committed adultery. So therefore, but have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever said something hateful to someone else or, or refused to forgive them? Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? doesn't matter how old you were, even if you were a young child and you didn't fully understand. You, you did wrong, and we do wrong every day. So here's James's point. You break one law, you're guilty of all the laws because you gave us the law. It's God's law. The royal law, it's not my law. If it was my law, who cares if you break that one or that one? Or depending on the season, we, we mix and match. It's God's law. <laughs> I'm under the whole standard. And if I break one, I have sinned against Almighty Holy God. And there are consequences for that. In this life, and eternal death in the one to come. Punishment for our sins. And we deserve it. We were the ones who were not loving. But my friend... Let me tell you something. I've got good news for you. Because the scales were balanced hopelessly out of favor for us. And God knew that. And that's why he sent his son. The son of God came into this world. Because you and I were basically just going to live a loveless existence on this rock called earth. And then when we die, have a loveless eternity being punished by a holy God for our sin. And he wanted you to know love and to know him. So he stepped down. The Son of God took on human flesh, not because we deserved him, but because we needed him. And he kept the law perfectly. The perfect man. Imagine that. The ladies can't. <laughs> Some of those guys might think, oh, I'm not, I'm not too, too far off. But no, let's be honest. Jesus was the one perfect man, kept the law perfectly, obeyed the Father in all things, and then he laid down his life willingly. Yes, they put Jesus in handcuffs and led him, but he said, I lay down my life willingly. He was a willing sacrificial lamb. 
But then, as we sang, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again. The same lamb who was slain rose from the grave victoriously. And then he ascended the throne of heaven where he is inviting you to enter into a relationship with him. He's inviting you into his kingdom. A kingdom defined by love and truth and holiness and goodness and justice. The scales are perfectly balanced in Christ. That's called an incredible gift of mercy. Don't deserve it. You don't deserve it and I don't either. That's why it's a gift. The gospel is good news. It's a gift. And the good news for you, James 2.1 says, the gospel is not a respecter of persons. Romans tells us the gospel is not a respecter of persons. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're black or white or Asian, the gospel is good news for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I've done so much junk. There's no way that God could forgive me. Well, I've got good news for you that one drop of Jesus' blood can atone for all the sins of the world. It doesn't matter what you've done. The greater news is what Jesus will do if you give him your life. And that is to clean you. It is free, merciful, undeserving, impartial grace. And it breaks the shackles of hypocrisy and it balances uh, the weight of the scales towards sin so that sin is paid for and mercy is applied to the sinners. God does this. God is both just and the justifier. Romans 3.26 And a, a theologian and pastor who passed away recently named Tim Keller said this that catches the balance of the scales. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So are you here this morning and you've got something hanging over your head? You're not sure that there can be this thing called forgiveness and grace and healing? Look to Jesus. He did not waste his life. He laid down his life so that you could find yours. You can trust him today. You can be made whole and new today. Doesn't mean all the struggles of life go away. But now as you struggle, you know genuine love. You have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you have his word to give you wisdom for your day. And maybe you're here this morning and you can't get over that one sin that somebody else did to you. That's where I struggle. I can get over what they I can get over my own sin. I can't get over what they did to me. Remember how Jesus balances the scales. It's his grace. It's his righteousness. You didn't give up your life for the wicked. He was perfect. He was sinned against. He was bruised and wounded for our sins. Because he loves us. You're just as much a lawbreaker in need of mercy as that person that wronged you. We both do. Ask God to help forgive you and help you love them. It is possible. Here's the third and final point, and I'll be done. The gospel says we are free to live consistently in the kingdom of God. 
free to live consistently. Not just love sometimes. We can live consistently all the time in God's kingdom. He says in verse 12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So verse 12 contains two imperatives. Speak and act. But speak and act as those who are under the law of liberty. But did you notice that word judged? I bet it's your favorite word in this whole passage. Speak and act as those who are to be judged. But you know what's cool? He's talking about believers there. So that word judge doesn't mean condemned. God does not condemn his children. If you are in Christ, his blood sufficiently covers all your sins. It's gone. It's taken care of. But there will be a future judgment where we will stand before our king in his throne room. If you need to, close your eyes for a minute and just imagine the majesty of the Lord of hosts surrounded by the hosts and hosts of angels and believers from the Old Testament and New that have gone on before us to enter his presence and are covered by the blood of the Lamb and, and there's angels flying above singing holy, holy, holy and you stand before him the one who died for you how much is it going to be worth holding that grudge over someone you know, 50 years ago you try to tell the Lamb who was slain and risen I just can't get past what so-and-so did. It's not going to work. In fact, I bet you're going to forget all about it because you come face-to-face with glory. That's what James reminds us of. Friends, don't love others because of what your pastor thinks. Don't love others because you want people to think you're a good person. You live your life in the sight of God. Every moment of every day, in your car, in your home, in your bedroom, wherever you go. God is witness. And the life that you're living now, if you're living in your own strength, I dare say is very inconsistent with the life and the teachings of Jesus. But as you walk with Jesus and he's king over your life and your moments day by day, guess what? That's how you live a consistent life. Jesus, I want my thoughts in this moment to be captive to your lordship. As I go out there today and get on the road, I'm behind the steering wheel, Lord. Help me to be under the lordship of Christ. Not Sarasota County or Manatee County. The lordship of Jesus Christ. Because in Jeremiah 31, Jesus said, or, or God said, Jesus hadn't um, you know, become flesh yet. So we'll say, God said, Jeremiah 31, 31, the new covenant will be written on the heart. The law of God is in here. And where I go, the love of Jesus goes with me. What a freeing thought. I am free because Christ has set me free. I am free to love in my home. I don't have to be held captive by anger. I don't have to be held captive by um, annoyance. When people annoy me, I, I, I just I lash out. It doesn't have to be that way because if I've truly met Jesus, I can allow him to reign through me in that moment. It's going to take some confession. It's going to take repentance. That's a daily practice and it's good for us. We are not Jesus, but he can work through us. We're under the law of liberty now. We are not under the law of the Old Testament. We're under the law of God, which is love God and 
love others. But this is also a reminder to us that we don't live for the opinions of others. Did you hear that? We don't live for the opinions of others. That's no way to live the Christian life. And, and it's really bad for your neck when you're constantly doing this. <laughs> what do they think? I don't, I don't want to wear this because I'm, I'm worried about what people think of me. Or, or you know, I don't want to miss church on Sunday because I'm worried about what people will think of me. Look, you might do some of the right actions, but it's going to stress you out of your mind because you're Lord to a million people. Forget that. Have one Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is gracious and good and kind and has your best needs at heart. And, and don't make all those to-do lists. Well, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. That's what the Pharisees did. And it was hypocrisy. Can we all admit today we're sinners? We fall short. Whether you're a super holy religious person or you just got here five minutes ago and you don't know Jesus from anybody, we all need the same gospel. We all need the same grace. And judging one another for not measuring up is not how we grow in spiritual maturity. How we grow in spiritual maturity, well, wouldn't you know it, the gospel and the teachings and the life of Jesus. And when I encounter temptations and people hate me or, or deny me or upset me, I process that through the fact that I did the same thing to God and he still showed me mercy. Can I also show them mercy? Jesus says, yes. Yes, you can. And that gift that I've given you, called the local church, that is how we stay on track in our relationship with Jesus. Not because the church is Lord, but because as we fully devote ourselves to Jesus Christ and we walk alongside of each other, when I develop a, let's say, a blind spot in my life, I'm not going to see that blind spot. But if I have somebody sitting around uh, the circle with me in a small group or talking with me Sunday morning or I'm getting coffee with during the week or, or hanging out at one of our church fellowships and they pick up on something, Josh, I noticed, I noticed something in, in your tone or I noticed something, you know, you, you, you and Lacey, you know, I, I, just, I couldn't help but notice something. I'm not trying to be nosy. I'm not judging you, but, but is everything okay? Or, or can I help you? Or can I pray for you in some way? That helps me so much. Because I can't follow Jesus alone. I need my brothers and sisters alongside me helping me grow. And can I submit to you that you also need people alongside you who are, are going to help you grow? Otherwise, we get our heads in the sand and we start thinking and building our own kingdom. And it's not Christ over all. If Christ is over all then the family of God becomes the most important thing to us after our eternal destination. In fact, we've had several shared testimonies in our church uh, at our one-year anniversary a couple weeks ago when our church chose to have Christmas Eve worship at a local town center, got outside of our comfort zone, and said we are going to love our neighbors, we are going to outreach and, and invite people into worship who don't normally have a church or go somewhere. There was a lady there who was literally there at the end of her rope. Her options were exhausted. She was exhausted. She didn't want to live anymore. But because the church chose to be the body of Christ, she saw the love of Christ. She's like, that's not like a church that I've encountered before. 
no one's ever loved me or talked to me that way before. And it drew her into Jesus and it's radically changed her life. Because the church chose to love and to let the mercy of Christ shine through them. This December, I get so excited. Look at all these opportunities we have to show mercy. Operation Christmas Child and donating supplies for boxes to go to children in need and share the gospel with them. We're having a neighborhood carol sing on December 10th to share the joy of Jesus with our neighbors and then to talk with them and tell them about Jesus afterwards. We have a good news club. We're going to share the gospel with about 80 kids and probably give them some Christmas goodies as well. And then, yes, Christmas Eve, morning worship and breakfast. We have many opportunities. But, church, if we don't prioritize loving one another, the community doesn't get that full picture of God's love. Together, we can live consistently for Jesus. And we can shine mercy on those who need it. That's verse 13 and our, our final warning. Judgment without mercy. A judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. If all you can think about is what people deserve, be careful. Because there will probably be a day where you stand before the Lord and you realize you didn't actually understand the gospel of grace. It was all self-righteousness. And that's going to fall short on the scales. Eternally short. God says, I'm the one who decides where mercy will go. Romans 9, 13. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. You don't get to decide that. If you have received my mercy, you will show it to others. So Christians, we don't live with a judgmental God, but we do live in awe of a powerful God who will judge the wicked on the last day. Is your faith secure in Christ? or in your own righteousness. And as we conclude, let us remember these things. Let us actually believe that Christ is presiding over this worship service. And this actually is His Word. And it's actually His Spirit talking to us, leading us towards the truth so that we will know and love Him and give our lives to Him. If you bow your heads and close your eyes with me.